Welcome to season one, episode three of What Are You So Effing Afraid Of? A podcast sponsored by the Longevity Project for a Greater Richmond, where we share a multi-voice exploration of issues to promote longevity equity, disrupt commonly held myths about aging, and share some best kept secrets emerging from evidence-based gerontology. I'm your co-host, Ann Welliford, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Alexa Vanertrek and Nico Stankulescu. In season one, we're diving into commonly held beliefs, fears, and myths about aging, old age, and longevity. Myths about sex, myths equating old age with sadness, irrelevance, and isolation. So listen along and share with us. What are you so effing afraid of? On today's episode, we're joined by Adina Inescu clinical sexologist, PhD student, and researcher at the University Liège, Belgium. Her area of expertise is older adult sexuality and sexual violence against older adults. In addition, she specializes in ageism. Adina's work is grounded in principles of autonomy and respect, promoting the belief that older adults should live freely in their sexuality and deserve to be respected in their choices. Adina believes that sexuality in later life is a largely unexplored area and this neglect negatively impacts older adults' lives. So let's jump in and pass it over to Alexa for her conversation with Adina. We are so excited to have Adina Inescu as our guest for today's episode. Adina is a clinical sexologist, PhD student, and researcher at University of Liège, Belgium. Her area of expertise is older adults' sexuality, sexual violence against older adults, and she specializes in ageism. She believes that older adults should live freely in their sexuality, and they deserve to be respected in their decision. Adina believes denial of sexuality in later life is an unknown area and that it affects older adults. So welcome, Adina. Um, I know your, your research around sex in later life is not very abundant in our field, and we don't know a lot about it. So, uh, and it's not a very popular field to be in right now in um, older adult services. So I'm curious to know how you got interested in this field. Can you share a little bit about your background there? Hello, thank you for this um, great opportunity to, to share um, my research with you. Um, I really like your, your question, um, and I actually thought about it, and um, people keep, keep asking me, why are you interested in this area? Because, well, because <laughs> we don't really talk as a society about this um, topic, and um, actually, I think my answer is um, pretty straightforward. Um, I would say the life expectancy uh, at birth of Europeans in 2018 was estimated to be 81 years and the health expectancy was estimated to be almost 10 years at age 65. So we see that people live longer, they uh, live longer and in better health um, and we also see that um, the estimation for the coming 30 years regarding 
people age 65 and older is exceeding 1.5 billion um, people. Um, so I think that there is um, there are a lot of things to be explored um, when it comes to to older adults, and sexuality is one of them. Yeah, yeah, I, it's it's very similar in the states as well. Um, it's on the rise, and the the services are are really needed. So when did you get? So you started out interested in older adults. When did you get interested in the uh, your area of expertise around sexuality? Was that while you're? Is that I know you're a PhD student right now. Is that through your studies? It is through my studies, indeed. Um, so four years ago, I started working on a research on sexual violence, and um, the the expertise of a, of the department I'm um, I work with is um aging um therefore i started um looking into into things to explore and i saw that actually there is um there is not not much on on um on the scientific um i would say side when it comes to um older adults and sexuality so, yes, mm. um, I started almost four years ago. Yeah, there's not a lot, but there is yours, right? You did a <laughs> study on sexuality in older adults. Can you, um, I know I saw your ASA at the American Society on Aging Conference this last spring, and you gave some background on your research and your findings, and it was so fascinating can you share a little bit with our audience uh, what you found most surprising or interesting uh, that came out of that project or a little bit of background on that project? Anything you have to say about that research? We would love to hear it. Sure, of course. Um, so we have to say that the project is a, is a national um, project in Belgium on sexual violence. And um, we as researchers decided to um, have, as, mm, I would say, um, as many populations as possible included in this study. And uh, older adults were part of uh, um, those populations. Um, and the, um, the feeling I had in the beginning um, was, wow, studying sexual violence on this specific age group. I don't know how easy it's going to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And then we started piloting. And um, obviously, there were some changes to, to do to the questionnaire. Um, and what surprised me in the beginning was that, well, um, because we had the same approach for this age category uh, to the other, uh, to the other, I mean, sorry, because we had the same approach to this age category as we had to the other um, uh, populations in this study. Um, and because we were respectful when we asked questions, people did answer. Mm -hmm. um, so we saw that, uh, well, we can ask questions and we're going to get answers. 
Um, maybe it's not always going to be easy, but um, we had 513 people who answered questions on uh, their sexual lives. Um, some and they were interviewed in Dutch, French, and English, right? They were interviewed in three different languages. Okay, so you had a you were able to get a bigger pool of people because you had those resources. That's really really cool. Uh, we also, I also have to say that uh, most of them, most of the interviews were in um, Dutch and or French. Mm. Um, so in English, I think that we had, um, mm, I think one or two participants. Okay. Um, and um, so um, we did see that the the research didn't focus on sexuality, the research was on sexual violence, but there were questions on sexuality. And um, the age range was of participants was between 70 and 99 years old. Um, I say 99 and most people ask me why 99 because you didn't want to try 100 is because we couldn't find anyone older than 99 mm, that okay. wanted to, <laughs> um, to participate. Um, we also had, I would say, a few challenges, and one of them um, was um, COVID and the lockdown restrictions. And obviously, the study had to stop at that point, data collection. Mm -hmm. So we managed to have just um, uh, a bit more than 500 interviews, and the result was 31% um, of interviewed older um, adults um, were sexually active at the moment of the interview, and 32% um, were like expressed physical tenderness in the past 12 months. Um, so we see that basically two thirds of um, older adults are um, sexually active or expressed no. tenderness. So the, it was 31% who indicated um, to be currently sexually active and then 32% had experienced in the last 12 months some form of physical tenderness. So what are the differences between being sexually active and physical tenderness? Yes, um, being sexually active um, so the question uh, was not restricted to sexual contact with penetration of the body. So we said that masturbation, sexual intercourse, oral sex, anal sex, etc., were included. So when we when we asked the question, uh, "Are you sexually active?" Um, this is the explanation the explanation that we gave them. Um, and for those who answered no to this question, there was a second item um, regarding forms of physical tenderness, uh, tenderness experienced in the past 12 months. And as an example, we said cuddling, hugging, kissing, something similar. Okay. Okay. So it, there, there are some differences and I, and I know, um, I'm also, I'm, I'm curious to know the differences between sex and sexuality and physical tenderness as well, but we can dive into that a little later. Um, what were the folks like that you interviewed? What were kind of the demographics? I know they were between 70 to 99. Where were they living? 
what were, were there any, any other qualifications you required to be to participate in the study for them for this population? Um, so the mean age of participants was 79 years old. Um, okay. So I would say compared to other studies, it's important to show that we included the oldest old participants, as to say. So we had a lot of people from the category 80 plus. Okay. Um, and um, the study was representative for the Belgian population. Um, so basically, um, we just uh, randomly um, picked areas in Belgium. Um, I mean, the, my colleagues who work on statistics could give you more details on that um, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, so we didn't go just to big cities or to, we just went in the countryside. Mm. Um, we also had people from nursing homes, for example. The study wasn't focused on people living in nursing homes, but people in nursing homes were included as well. Um, and let me see whether there was something else. Um, we see that um, mainly the level of education was secondary or higher. Okay. Um, and most of them were, 90% were born in Belgium. Okay. 10% okay. weren't. What was the, uh, was there any cognitive ability qualifications you required were they um, or did any of them have anything um like dementia that you and you also included them in the research yes this is i would say um the um, i would say one of the limitations of the study um we didn't include people who had um cognitive um problems so um, we didn't test them for that particularly um, but one of the inclusion criteria was just um, to see whether they were able to follow the conversation mm -hmm. um, and we did have um, well I would say two questions where once we asked the year of birth and a bit later we would ask their age so just to okay. see whether they were um, they were good in that uh, in that direction, but um, there was no other um, test or anything else. Yeah, it's it's a hot topic that I hear in the states how we go about supporting sexuality, especially in long term care communities. Uh, if if one or two or, or multiple people in the, in the group that wants to be sexual has some form of um, cognitive decline. So we don't have an answer for that right now, but I am curious because we want to be supportive of that. But it's it's difficult. It's kind of, it's a hard line to to walk. And I know people are really curious about it. You uh, So you mentioned that you were able to get 513 interviews because of kind of your approach. And I know that sexuality is still super taboo to talk about across most age groups. So how did you, how did you get people to talk to you about it? I mean, I, I know that you said they were, I mean, they, 
they all answered the surveys, the ones that you asked. I mean, did they have any questions when you were when you were there? Were they really open or were they not as open? What was that experience like? Because like I said, this is a really taboo topic still. Um, I think um, this is also one of uh, the fears researchers have and also um, from what I understand from the literature is also one of the fears of um, healthcare uh, practitioners when it comes to addressing this topic of sexuality with older adults. Um, they think that there's going to create some tension and people are going to start running. <laughs> mm. um, so I would say that uh, this was uh, basically a belief that I had uh, before starting working on this project. And um, well, the project proved me wrong. <laughs> um, we also had, so when I say we, so the researchers on the project, we worked with the, with the interviewers. So we, we trained professional interviewers to go on the field and to talk to um, older adults. Um, I, um, I just interviewed few people, um, so I can't say that uh, I saw many of those who were interviewed, but the, the main approach we, we had was just to be respectful um, mm. and um, to get people to answer the question um, as, as, as clearly as possible, as to mm -hmm. say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there was like a lot of giggles and, and whatnot. <laughs> uh, but I, so your researchers were trained though. So you said that was a lot of that training had to do with being professional and respectful. But yes. The, the interviewers were, uh, were trained. Um, they, um, these were interviewers that um, were practically used to interview um I would say older adults, uh, so they already had that uh, that experience. And um, for this project, we trained them particularly to ask questions about sexuality and uh, well, sexual health and sexual violence. And um, one of the things that um, uh, we thought was important was that the person who did the interview, so the interviewer would feel comfortable asking these questions um, because we, um, we noticed that if the interviewer was not comfortable, then this discomfort would be noticed by, um, by the person interviewed. And mm -hmm. um, obviously that's, if you're not comfortable with asking me different questions, I'm not going to be comfortable <laughs> um, answering this question. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really true. And I think that all them not being comfortable is multi-layered, but a lot of it has to do with, well, ageism, mostly internalized ageism. Uh, you mentioned in a presentation you gave that what we learn we do in older age and if they aren't, you know, comfortable talking about sex and our master cultural narrative is that older adults don't have sex or they associate older adults having sex with negative words 
then older adults aren't going to want to talk about it. And they're especially not going to answer, answer questions about it to someone they possibly haven't met before. So uh, I think it's wonderful that you kind of broke that barrier between um, the interviewer or the researcher and, and the participant of the study. I'm sure after talking about it, they might have, do you, I mean, did you notice that they kind of opened up more um, as they were answering the questions? Yes, this was, uh, this was indeed, this was the idea um, of our questionnaire to start gradually with questions on sociodemographics and then to go on questions about relationships and then about sexuality. So they would um, be at ease to answer questions about sexual violence. Mm. And I think it was successful, our approach. Yeah. And was this the same research that you asked um, what the first words that came to mind when you thought about older adults and sexuality was, or is that a different study? Um, that is a different study. And actually, I wanted to do um, to use this exercise here um, <laughs> today, if you agree, and to take just, um, I would say, one minute or even less. Um, to think of the first five words that come to your mind when, when you think of sexuality of older adults. Mm. You don't have Anna, Nico, to you don't want to join me in this? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh, you don't have to say the words. You can keep them for yourself. Okay. <laughs> um, I have... Two or three right now yes, in my me head. Me too. Me too. I have some words in mind. We're a little biased though, because we are in ageism research and we are in gerontology. So we well, may not represent the whole population, but I'm also biased because my husband fits into your age demographic. Mm. Okay. So, you know, I'm responding to this both as a gerontologist and as a a person with an older partner. Yeah. So I have, I have doubly positive responses to that, to that question. So I think that's okay. Anyway. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm sure across age groups, then the, the words change a little bit. <laughs> um, I want to ask my friends this, but okay. Adina, so we're, we won't share, but we'll keep it in our heads. What, uh, what I, do you, you think? If, if you want, of course, that you can share. Um, what, so we're, we're still um, analyzing um, data on, um, on that um, study with the, the five words. Um, but what I can see, what we can see for the moment is that when we ask straightforward questions, there's a social desirability bias um, because if if I ask now a question, what do you think about um, older adults who continue their their sex life? Um, is this acceptable? Uh, this is not acceptable. Do you agree in, or or is it, it it doesn't really matter for you? You will choose one of the answers. But if I ask you a question about these five words, those five words are, are somehow, um, I would say, there's the unconscious bias 
that we can't really get rid of. So mm. when when it comes to social desirability, we are conscious somehow and say, okay, it should be this. <laughs> but when it comes to these words, in general, there is no way we could go so far by saying, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> mm. So... So you're saying older adults, their their words, like that desirability, they they can't help but say words that they think other people would think about them having sex. I mean, this is a good um, this is a good exercise for for um, for everyone. Um, it doesn't really matter the age group. It doesn't really mm-hmm. matter the um, the the work they do. It's a, it's a good question for, for healthcare professionals um, mm-hmm. and that work with older adults. It is also a good question for older adults and for us as well, um, because the, the rest of the population, because, for example, the other day I went to, to a training and one of the participants said something um, that I've been thinking a lot. Uh, but the fact that um, that it was said by someone else um, um, shows differently ha- had an impact on me too. Saying that um, we have different perceptions, but when one person thinks, "Wait, um, in thirty years, I'm gonna be one of those older adults we're talking about now." Mm-hmm. So how do I want people to look at me, to think about me, to talk to me in 30 years? And how do I want me as, a, as, a, as an older adult, as a future older adult, to, to see myself in 30 years and to think about myself in 30 years? Because if now I think that being old is... Uh, linked to frailty, it's linked to diseases, it's linked to disabilities, um, and I see a lot of negativity, and I think there's a big chance that in 30 years I'll see myself the same, in the same negative way, because I will become one of those people. Mm. Yeah. And if you enjoy being sensual and having sex at a younger age or youngish age, you know, under the age of what we now deem an older adult, you're going to want that probably when you're older. And if you associate sex in your older years with, with decline, with um, difficulty, it's kind of a scary thought and it's not, it doesn't feel like a, uh, a full life if you're interested in still doing that when you're older. Um, so I am very interested in how, how folks can kind of change their perspective. I think when, uh, we're, when we're talking about healthcare professionals asking uh, their patients what they think about older adults and sexuality, I think it's, I mean, I want to know why you think it's important, but I think it, it also is important because when we ask, you know, like I said, we associate sex and older adults with um, difficulty. So if, if our healthcare professionals who are frontline and talking to older adults are asking them about sexuality and sensuality and, and physical tenderness, I think it could 
really possibly change their perspective. So why do you think it's important for our healthcare professionals to be, to be asking older adults this? I think first, this should be a question that um, I don't know what happens in the US. Um, I, I read uh, scientific articles, um, but in Belgium, there is not a lot um, done when it comes to educating healthcare professionals. So when healthcare professionals are trained, they, unless they specialize in gerontology, there's not a lot on older adults and many mm -hmm. of them work with older adults. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that, of course, it is important for, for all of us that, that uh, care providers are trained um, on, on this topic when it comes to, uh, to aging. But I think this is something that should, um, should be um, asked uh, by every care provider. Um, you know, I, this question about sexuality and um, even going further, um, maltreatment, violence, sexual violence, it should be part of the questionnaire questionnaire uh, air quotes um, <laughs> be, because it is something important if I get used of um, hearing these questions now I won't be shocked if in 20 years you're going to ask me the same questions because I'm used to them so, so this is yeah. one thing um, and um, a second thing is um, so there's also the lack in education about this. And from what I read, care providers don't feel at ease asking these questions because they are not trained. And mm -hmm. um, you, on, on the other hand, um, older patients feel this discomfort of talking about it. And, and some of them say, well, I think the um, healthcare professional is not really prepared to talk about it. So I won't talk about it because I'll put them in a bad position. Mm. Or, or I think maybe I shouldn't question myself. I shouldn't have questions like this because, because of my age. Um, or maybe, well, because the healthcare professional is not prepared to talk about this, how could they help? Mm. So it, it goes in a, in a circle and yeah. it's, it's really hard to, to find um, a way out. Yeah, I'm, I mean, every time I go to the doctor, I'm asked about it. So if I all of a sudden stopped being asked about it, I would think it's not okay to bring up or, or ask my doctor about if I had any questions and they're really there to keep us healthy and safe. So it's interesting that they stop asking because through your research, people are still having sex or not. I hate to say still having sex. They're continuing to have sex as they get older. And we know through research that it is really important to our health, regardless of what form of sex you're practicing. So what do we know about it being important to our health and well-being? Oh, uh, sorry, could you please repeat the question? I uh, couldn't hear you well. It's, it's okay. What, so what do we know about sex and sexuality and physical tenderness 
being important to our health and well-being? Um, well, sexual health is part of health <laughs> yeah. um, and contributes to our well-being. Um, and studies show that there is a link um, between well-being and sexuality, the way every individual perceives sexuality. Um, so I think it's important to... Um, now I see myself in the position of... Um, of a clinical sexologist and asking people how they define sexuality and based on that to say okay how satisfied are you with with the way it's working right now uh, mm -hmm. is there something you'd like to improve you'd like to change you'd like to um, and then to see how this has an impact on their lives and on their health yeah, I see a lot of overlap in social connectivity research and uh, sex sexuality research in older adults. We ask people a lot, we define social connectedness, and then we ask them how satisfied they are on that spectrum. And honestly, similar to sex, it is kind of taboo to say, I'm lonely. And if you feel that you aren't having enough, whatever that might be to you, sexuality, physical touch. If you don't have, if you don't feel you have enough of that, it might be really uh, awkward for you to say out loud and to talk to a healthcare professional about. So like you said, it's really cyclical because if healthcare professionals aren't asking you about it, they're not curious to know how satisfied you are in that realm. You're, it's, it's less likely they're going to bring it to their attention and ask them for resources. So very, very fascinating. Um, switching kind of gears here, I know Nico mentioned uh, across cultures, the different taboos and how uh, ageism in this sphere kind of differ differentiates across cultures. Do you, have you noticed that? Do stereotypes or taboos around sexuality in older adults differ across cultures? Are some cultures different or, or even better in their approach to attacking ageism in this way? I, I think that um, aging is something that um, ageism is something that happens across all cultures. Mm -hmm. um, I think also that cultures can have an impact, um, but I wouldn't put all of this. I wouldn't blame it all on on the culture. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, there are cultures where um, we talk a little bit more about sexuality and aging and there are cultures where well we talk about it but we're a bit um i would say afraid or we still see it as a taboo and well we talk about it if we're asked about it um but i wouldn't i wouldn't blame it all on on cultures um there's been I would say a little bit of research done in different cultures on sexuality um, of older adults. And um, I can see that basically, yes, if people are asked um, questions about this topic, they, they will answer. Mm -hmm. um, I think that here, 
there is also something else to to take into consideration is not just the culture is also to to take into consideration the shift in mentalities because 40 50 years ago sexual education if it was <laughs> some sexual education it was so different from what it is right now and people talked about sexuality differently mm. um they well i'd like to i hope that they <laughs> that we know more now than they used to know 50 years ago um but of course that there's also the way people used to talk about sexuality and i can see myself in 50 years talking differently about sexuality because when I say differently it's differently compared to to an 85 year old um, person today because Mm. I would say that well besides the fact that I've studied this um, we talk differently today today we talk about a, a bit more I wouldn't say that we reached that point where we talk a lot about it but we seem to be more open today mm. so how do you hope in 50 years we'll be talking about it what do you want the language to be around sexuality in 50 years um, what are your hopes and dreams <laughs> for <laughs> the I'm not particularly people doing research in it but people in the community, how do you want them to be talking about it? I just hope that they they will be open to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that there's, I hope, there's (laughs) going to be less stigma around it it and less um, ageism. I don't think we're going to eradicate ageism in 50 years. I just hope that we'll be more and more aware of it and we'll do our best to to keep it as low as possible um, and um, to be able to say exactly as you said earlier um, to say older adults continue their sex life and mm. it's not something instead of saying they still have a sex life because our expectation as a society is that they will stop um, mm. so i think if we can treat everyone um, in the same way, um, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And if we are talking about it and we're open about it and through our entire lifespan, we can be a healthier, we can have healthier communities because if, even though people aren't talking about it, people are, people are doing it. People are having sex. And if it's taboo to talk about, then you can't get help where you need it and you can't get the health resources you need for it. And you can't have an, uh, an overall better life through sexuality. So I think what you are doing is amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Is there any updates on your research? Where can we find resources uh, about your research? Are there anything, is there anything you want to share about that with our audience? I'm still working on, uh, I use still now, <laughs> the word still, I'm still working on, on some yeah. papers, um, the process of, uh, of writing them. Um, so as soon as I have uh, news on that, I'll, I'll send you some links. Um, I'm also working on opening my own practice. Um, oh. 
or um, to be able to to work with the hospital on this um, matter. Uh, but it's just um, it's just an idea. So we'll see in the near future. Oh, um, that's so cool! So like a consulting business for hospitals um, would be more like. Uh, my own practice to talk to people about their about sexuality wow wow that is that is so needed right now among other things that's i i i am i will be very interested in hearing updates on that um i asked this question for for the general population so what are the five words when you think of sexuality And then the next question was, what are the five words that come to your mind when you think of sexuality of older adults? And um, I could see the change, um, the the change, the the shift. Um, There would be similarities, but when it came to older adults, to these answers, I mean, to answers regarding sexuality of older adults, um, I have now in mind a word. I wouldn't say that it was the, ma- the most common word, um, but it was one of the few words that came um, to people's minds. For example, uh, something, something really negative. Um, and, um, I was really surprised to see that. Um, also another word was Viagra. Mm. Um, and yes, I was somehow shocked. Um, I think that based on, um, the way media portrays, um, you know, um, sexuality and aging, um, it shouldn't be surprising, unfortunately, that one of the words was Viagra. Yeah, that's, I mean, I would have never thought about that. <laughs> that definitely did not come to my mind when you asked. It's really specific. I mean, I wonder where that comes from. I mean, I know about it. I know what it is, but I don't know where that comes from. It, it could be linked to the fact that um, we, we, when I say we, the society sees um, aging sexuality as linked to, as being linked to um, sexual dysfunctions and problems in general. And um, the fact that sexuality can be medicalized and in, I mean, media shows a lot of um, ads, a lot of parts in the movies with older adults that um, take medication for that matter. So of course, if this is what we see, this is part of what we think if we don't, um, if we don't, explore a bit uh, the topic. Yeah, that's so yeah. interesting. And, you know, I'm thinking about other things that uh, one of our graduate students years ago did a, a research project about what um, images come to mind when you think about late life. And they were all things that were um, assistive devices. 
similarly to Viagra, which could be considered to be assistive, an assistive device, right? I mean, if we're yeah. right. And so, you know, I wonder if you asked people about other types of functioning, right? If you talked about sexual functioning or mobility or, and those are the only two that are coming to my mind at the moment. Um, if people would think about, you know, walkers and glasses and wheelchairs and Viagra all in the same type of category, but it's interesting that Viagra was one of the words that, you know, came. And I would say that at least in the States, that is a, I would attribute that to, you know, uh, as you said, medicalization and specifically big pharma that, you know, we don't hear about older adult sexuality unless it's like this ooh and giggles and, you know, or unless it's about Viagra and kind of jokes about that, which is, you know, which again goes back to the ageism. And I also wonder how much that contributes to, um, you know, I'm thinking back to what you said about educating professionals and that kind of circular piece about that, that if we don't educate pre-professionals to be comfortable with the idea of sexuality as a, a piece of larger um, health, overall health, then they won't ask about it. And then people, older people, or, you know, all of us as growing older people um, won't think that it's normal to talk about it. And then we won't ask for solutions. Exactly. And then it continues to be a problem. I mean, I think that that's such an interesting point that your work brings up. Yeah, this is one of the points I'm making on uh, on a paper um, that I hope will be accepted for <laughs> to be published. Um, it's there is this um, this connection and this uh, circle between the society's views on sexuality of older adults, and then there's also all the policies on sexual health. Um, that rarely focus on, on older adults. And then there's also the research work. There's basically, I wouldn't say in existence, but um, just having few studies <laughs> doesn't help. Um, and then all of this is reinforced again. There are no policies, there's no research, healthcare professionals are not aware of this. And this again goes back to the society and the way we see people and so on. And mm. this cycle will continue forever until we, we break it. Right, that's the whole foundation between disrupting ageism, right? Mm -hmm. it, we need to disrupt that cycle. And, and also the notion of how ageism is contagious and how, you know, we catch it from each other. And, you know, we certainly catch it from healthcare providers who are, <laughs> who are perpetuating it in this particular case by not asking about it, which is grounded in the assumption that older adults don't, you know, have a sexual practice, that they don't practice intimacy and, and their own discomfort with the conversation and the topic, which 
to me is about professionalism, right? Your your professional ethic, your professional role is about maintaining the highest level of health. And if you're eliminating sexuality as a component of a person's health, then you are not upholding your ethical practice as a professional. I mean, that's what I've learned from this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if you're not asking about it they're even if they are having it and you feel weird asking them about it, they won't talk about it. But what I've seen and Adina saw in her research that if you kind of open the door and ask even Adina's question, well, how, how do you feel about older adults and sexuality? How do, you, how do you feel about sexuality in general? People might open up and might want to talk about it. And, but if, like you said, and if it is very cyclical and if we don't talk about it, healthcare professionals don't talk about it, it makes people feel really uncomfortable and awkward. That's going to go right into our pop culture. It's going to go right into our movies, our TV shows, our magazines, what we see online. And then it's something funny and they're profiting off of it. And then no one wants to talk about it in the culture. So if we disrupt it at the cultural level, at the conversational, relational level, we can possibly stop that cycle. Well, and I think there's a disconnect there because... I think mostly it's health professionals who are uncomfortable asking about it when, you know, older adults that I know in the community are not uncomfortable talking about sex and sexuality. That's my experience. I mean, Mm -hmm. people are totally comfortable talking about their own sexuality and the sexuality of other people. But if the disconnect is health professionals, that's unethical practice. Here I see actually a few points. Um, I think that um, I I, I wouldn't blame it all on healthcare professionals either. I would say that it's the entire society's responsibility to say, okay, we are going to grow older as well. And how are we going to want to be... um, to, to discuss that, to be treated as older adults uh, when it comes to different topics. Um, so just to see, oh, okay, if I'm going to be that person in 30 years, maybe, you know, I should start changing my opinions right now. Mm-hmm. It's never too late. Um, the, the, the other thing I wanted to add is that um, sexuality and aging I think that they are not seen as being a natural process. So aging is something natural. And um, we learn to accept our bodies the way they age, right? Um, Of course, we can do different things to, you know, to stay in shape, to, uh, I don't know, to, to keep being active if we want to, um, and if we can, um, because not everyone can do that. Um, I'm I'm talking about people who have different uh, health problems that, well, are um, somehow um, put a stop on on different things. Um, But it's also the idea that sexuality is something natural. And um, for this, I wanted to to add something that um, 
I see also this, this shift from sexuality being a taboo and not talking about it when it comes to um, older adults to sexuality, to over-sexualization of uh, older adults, mm. thinking that all of them are sexually active. And I think that the question to ask is, something that we mentioned uh, earlier in this discussion, is basically sexuality is something that starts at one point in life, um, if we talk about sexual activity, but sexuality is part of our lives since we're, we're born. Um, but sexual activity starts at one point, and then it is a continuum. Um, we go through different phases, and the example I always give is, for example, pregnancy is, is one phase when sexuality can change um, for partners. Um, and why do we see it so, so strange? Why is it so strange to think that sexuality can change over the years? This doesn't mean that it's worse or better. It just changes. Um, and it's important as individuals to get used to the fact that it changes. And if we want it to be different, um, we can try to do something for that, um, but I'm losing my point, sorry. <laughs> no. Um, there are older adults that don't wanna be sexually active anymore. And I think that is important as well. It's important to acknowledge that and to say, okay, this is what you want. I don't see where my problem is as a healthcare provider. I mean, this is what you want. And if you have what you want, it's good for you. Mm, yeah, and if, and it also not scaring people who aren't older adults yet to know that older adults sometimes don't have sex. And that doesn't mean that their story is your story. And that doesn't mean that you're also not going to have sex. It, like you said, it's a continuum and it, and it really is different for everyone, depending on your preference. Yeah, I think, and, and sorry, an important question to ask is also what were uh, people's habits when they were younger because um, saying oh now that uh, they're 80 they don't have sex anymore okay but did they have and what was the frequency if we talk about this when they were 20 30 40 mm -hmm. um, and also has something changed in in their sexuality like I don't know maybe they they focus more on intimacy, maybe for them is more important. What is their definition now of sexuality? Because maybe some of them say, I don't know, um, cuddling is something very important to me and I can't, cannot live without that. Some of them could say, well, if I do not have penetrative sex twice per week, I am not satisfied. So it's every individual's definition. So, you know, I don't think I hear a lot of people talking about the person-centered nature of sexuality across the lifespan. I mean, and that's what you're really talking about, that people have different definitions of what is sexually satisfying to them, which is back to Alexa's point about how sexuality is connected to social connectivity and loneliness and how that is so much of an individual um how it's subjective. Mm 
and, you know, and also how things change across the lifespan. I mean, would people want, I mean, I'm not sure that people want sex in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s to be like it was when they were 20. I mean, I, I think develop, developmentally and the way people grow across the lifespan, you know more about what is sexually satisfying to you and what is satisfactional. Is that right? Is that a word? <laughs> no, that sounds right. <laughs> we just made up what, is, what, what is sexually satisfying to your partner or partners? Um, so shouldn't there be changes in people's sexuality, just like there are other developmental changes that occur across the lifespan. Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, to your point about why it's so person centered, because um, there should be some continuity across what, what people enjoy, what is satisfying and the frequency, but there also should be development within that because you know more about yourself and about other mm. people. So I don't know. I think that that's a very interesting thing, which requires ongoing conversation. Well, reflection with yourself and conversation with your partners, if that's the case. And, and then also an area for additional research. Definitely. That, yeah, it is very interesting that how much it connects to, to social connectivity and it is a continuum and if you if you are having sex in your 20s a certain way and you do that differently in your 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s maybe you go maybe you become more sexual as you get older maybe you're more interested in sex as you get older and you're more comfortable with yourself you have maybe more confidence in yourself as you get older which is Something we we kind of know about aging already is that if you, um, I mean, there's certain factors, but you get generally happier as you get older. So maybe your sex life even improves as you get older, um, which I've seen a little bit in pop culture. It's kind of the, the this trope of a divorced woman who has this sexual revolution with her, within herself. And she, uh, you know, she's treating sex differently than she ever did in her twenties and thirties. I've seen that in a couple of TV shows actually, but I think it's really fascinating to think that it might be different than how people think it is as you get older and how your, your relationship with sex might actually improve as you, um, go into your older years. Well, and also the notion of, you know, women no longer having to be concerned about pregnancy. Now, you know, then there's the also the double whammy of um, increased risk for STDs and HIV and, and things that people may not have thought about earlier in life. And then you do have to worry about. Mm -hmm. But but I've seen a lot of and maybe it's more just anecdotal research because um, uh, again, back to Adina's point, there's not as much research about this as you would think that there would be. Um, and I, I, and two, the fact that sometimes people expect that um, particularly intercourse, but um, sexual activity is going to be the same forever and ever and ever um, means that when there are physiological changes that happen, 
it causes some disruption in people's expectations. And, but I think that that's tied so much to people's expectations about their functioning period. You know, the lack of understanding that all things change, you know, your, (laughs) your functioning changes for better or for worse, your cognition changes for better and for worse. Um, your social engagement changes for better and for worse. That's what development development is, you know, growth, maintenance and loss regulation across the entire lifespan. And sexuality is no different, which again, back to Adina's point, why we need to be more open to conversation about it and really inspect the words that we use to, to think about it, because I would think they wouldn't be wholly positive and I wouldn't think that they would be wholly negative, right? That they seems like there should be a mix of, of that. I don't know. I think you've brought up so many interesting points, you know, for conversation and discussion and, and for future research. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to add something. I recently discovered an awareness campaign about um, sexuality and aging in uh, in the UK, and they've made some what I think is some great videos, and they interviewed few um, couples. Um, older adults and they talk about their sexuality and it's interesting to see that um, they some of them say it's our sexuality right now it's it's it has improved because because you know we don't have kids at home anymore and because um, we have more time and because mm. we don't have to schedule this, for example, because we're not afraid that the kids are going to open the door of our bedroom or because, you know, there are no maybe limits in the, in the house. Mm. Um, and some also other people who talk, I mean, made me think of maybe there is a bit of struggle, but we keep communicating. And because we communicate, we try to, you know, solve this, um, these issues. So I yeah, communication between partners is exactly. a whole other factor in there. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, because I, you can be as comfortable as you can with sexuality, but if you are uncomfortable communicating that to your partner, it might be a different experience and you might not be as satisfied. And that's ageless. Mm. That's not about, yep. about being older. That's about everyone across the entire lifespan. 100%. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of What Are You So Effing Afraid Of? a podcast sponsored by the Longevity Project for a Greater Richmond, a multi-voice exploration of issues to promote longevity equity, disrupt commonly held myths about aging, and share some best kept secrets emerging from evidence-based gerontology. On behalf of myself, Ann Welliford, and my co-hosts, Alexa Bannertrek and Nico Stankulescu, and the Longevity Project for a Greater Richmond team, thank you. We hope that you will join us again as we continue to disrupt common myths and fears about aging and longevity. So listen along and share with us. What are you so effing afraid of?